Welcome, Bankless Nation, to the ETH CC experience. I just got back from ECC and I've got over three hours of content with me that I recorded with all stars from around the crypto ecosystem. And we're bringing them to you all at once right here, right now. Each episode is about 20 to 30 minutes long. And because they were all done in person, they are particularly exceptional and fun. Each one of these conversations is candid. And also for some reason during in real life interviews, I just ask questions that I wouldn't have otherwise asked. So for example, y'all remember when like Kane Warwick and Suzu were fighting over reasonably sized houses on crypto Twitter? Well, we talked about that with Kane. There's also been controversy with the Starkware team about whether or not they'd ever do their own layer one or migrate off of Ethereum. Well, I asked that to Uri and Ellie of the Starkware team. I also asked Vitalik about developer morale, his vision for the Ethereum roadmap, and why he's got the best drip in crypto. Each one of these episodes is being released separately for optimal content candy to you, the listener. We usually do our pre-recorded ads for these, but instead I'm going to do them right here, right now. So here it goes. And we're gonna start with Rocket Pool. Rocket Pool is Ethereum's decentralized validator network where you deposit ETH and you get our ETH in return. And you can take that our ETH into DeFi. And if you run a node, you let other people deposit their ETH into your node and you get to charge them 15% for staking rewards as payment for your node operating services. And then you can take that our ETH and use the Across Bridge to join over $2.3 billion in the Arbitrum ecosystem. Across, of course, is the fastest, cheapest, and most secure cross-chain bridge and one of the safest ways to bridge your hard-earned assets in the world of crypto. And of course, Arbitrum is where you want to be. With over 35,000 contracts and 1 million unique addresses, Arbitrum is leading the way into the age of rollups. You know how I know these numbers? Because I watched the Arbitrum's talk at ECC, which you should also go watch, but not before you're done watching this. But when you do watch that video, make sure it's on a privacy-first browser, which is why you should be using Brave. It blocks all the browser ads, it's got a native Web3 wallet, and it puts the user first the Web3 way. You know what else puts the user first? Ledger hardware wallets and the Ledger Live ecosystem. I know Ledger is a great product because I have literally nine of them and I have 99% of my crypto assets on my Ledger wallets. And the Ledger Live ecosystem is all you really need when it comes to living a bankless life, such as buying with fiat, swapping, and staking. But for the rest of you that are sitting on stable coins because the market is scary right now, make sure you're using a decentralized bankless stable coin. May I suggest Dive from MakerDAO, the most tried and tested stable coin in existence. But with Maker, you don't have to hide your stables on the Ethereum layer one. Maker is building DAI portals so you can mint DAI natively across all the layer twos. So you can make sure that your assets don't go down another 90%, but you still get to go do all the DeFi things across the L2-verse. And I hope you use all of these sponsors on your quest for going bankless. And now I bring you my in-person conversation with Vitalik Buterin. What's up, Vitalik? How's it going? Ceiling. How are you? Ceiling? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that took me a second. Okay, Vitalik, last year at ECC, mm -hmm. uh, you gave a talk, which was about the non-financial use cases of a blockchain. Mm -hmm. And then like the industry sat on that for about six months. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, Lens Protocol, the decentralized social media protocol came about. And then after that, we had this like fervor and soulbound tokens. And it really like kicked off a new shift of focus in the crypto space. And mm -hmm. you're about to go have your talk here at ECC in about like 30 minutes or so. What's the new meta going to be after this talk? Well, no, this time I'm actually going to talk about other stuff, like basically, yeah, kind of a longer term future of the uh, Ethereum protocol and mm -hmm. uh, my hopes that we uh, you know, do the upgrades that we have to do, but also don't normalize, like just constantly adding more and more features because mm -hmm. that'll like make the protocol super complicated after like 20 years. So 
Yeah, this kind of thinking about, you know, what is the vision for the medium term? What's the vision for the long term? How can we make sure that we sort of shift gears into like actually valuing decentralization more and like, uh, you know, not just as a slogan, but like as something that gets a lot of development effort? Certainly. And coming out of the mania that was 2021 mm -hmm. back into a mm -hmm. more depressed time in the crypto space, Depressed usually is kind of a, you know, assumed a bad word, but there's a lot of people who were here before 2021. They were like, oh, thank gosh. Uh, thank God we're like, we're finally like quiet. How do you feel in the middle of 2022 with the state of just like the attention of crypto? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely relieved that, mm -hmm. um, you know, things are quieting down a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I'm going to... It is important to remember that, um, you know, these uh, bubbles and boom periods, like they have costs. Mm -hmm. Like on the one hand, they uh, attract lots of people, uh, which is uh, good and they get people excited. But on the other hand, um, you know, they sometimes give lots of people like way too much of an impression of uh, what the space is uh, promising. And uh, that leads to people getting disappointed sometimes. Uh, mm -hmm. They uh, get uh, attention from unsavory characters. They get attention from, um, you know, governments that decide that because it exists it's their business um and uh, you know, it gets tension from a lot of places and there's a benefit to kind of quietness and there's a benefit to i think uh, the yeah, crypto space kind of being its own little land for a while and mm -hmm. uh only yeah really breaking out once it's actually yeah kind of fully ready to and uh, i mean i think uh, you know the scalability stuff definitely didn't come fast enough uh, for this cycle but i think um you know for the, when the next one will uh, comes like you know it all will be right like uh we've already been seeing lots of improvements in roll-ups mm -hmm. uh we've been you know proto dank sharding is um, advancing um you know validiums are advancing the zk roll-ups and zk evm stuff is um advancing a lot of the stuff that i was like yelling about for the last few years people seem to kind of finally slowly be taking seriously mm -hmm. so like one example of this would be yeah I remember just yelling at, like, I think both Optimism and Arbitrum people for a while, basically telling them, hey, guys, like, you need to care about compression and you need to care about BLS signature aggregation, because, like, those are the two things that you need to do to actually bring down the uh, data cost of uh, a roll-up transaction from, like, 100 to 200 bytes down to 16 bytes. And, um, you know, that stuff's actually happening, right? Mm -hmm. Like... Uh, Optimism, I think a couple months ago, added uh, like basic zero byte compression, which knocked their fees down by like somewhere between 20 and 40%. Um, I think, I'm not sure what Arbitrum status is, but I think they either like have some kind of compression or they're close to it. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, ERC4337, the yeah, account abstraction EIP, right? I mean, you know that, that stuff because I've like yelled about the need for social recovery wallets on Bankless uh, many times as well. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> You know, there's like actually a really great and kind of exciting community around that now. And it's even kind of branching out further. So one of the things that's been happening in ERC4337 land over the last like, month or so is uh, they're starting to add like built-in signature aggregation. Mm -hmm. um, so like smart contract wallets would be able to like basically specify and say like, hey, this wallet uses um, like BLS signatures or uses like snark aggregation or some signature aggregation. And, um, you know, miners or nodes that are kind of gathering those transactions, they wouldn't just be packing transactions, they would actually be taking the signatures, aggregating them, and like it would all, um, you know, actually add up and the aeration would work. And that's uh, really nice because uh, then you get, like, 
you know, you get all the space savings, like, you know, we're talking about like 65 bytes of a transaction, like going down to one byte. And then once you add some more compression, then it goes down even more. And like, basically, you know, we're talking about rollups getting potentially another five times cheaper. Well, with just the ERC4337 stuff, like, you know, it'll be another three times cheaper. But with that and more compression, it'll be like somewhere between five and 10 times cheaper. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that just like really amazing right like there's that happening and then there's proto dank sharding happening and then there's mm-hmm. full dank sharding happening and then there's validiums happening and then there's uh, just ongoing improvements to ethereum software and uh, like you're f- finally getting to the point where the system actually will be able to um you know handle the just incredibly massive amount of usage that like an actual, I mean, no quote, mainstream adoption cycle is going to demand. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So say what you will about the state of the crypto markets. A lot of every first cycler comes mm-hmm. in and they're probably focused on the pain of prices. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you stick around for more than a single cycle, you start to get a little bit deeper and you focus on, well, how fast are we building more than like how fast are the markets moving? Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, since you've been here since the very beginning, mm-hmm. the iteration of Ethereum building seems to, in my opinion, I've only been here for one cycle, only gets faster and faster and faster. And now it seems to be there's so much Ethereum development that's happening in parallel beyond what I can even like comprehend and keep up with. And so I'm wondering, what's your take on the rate of development of not just like the app layer, but actually like straight up the Ethereum protocol? Like, are we getting faster at this? I think it's like both faster and slower. Mm. Like, I do think that our results have been pretty mixed so far, right? Because uh, if you compare the... uh, process of getting the beacon chain out the door to the process of getting ETH 1.0 out the door. Mm-hmm. Like the ETH 1.0 took uh, 20 months, right? right. From uh, like myself writing the first version of the white paper to a launch. Like here, like we're looking at a merge that will take like maybe about 22 months or 21 months after the yeah, original launch of the beacon chain. And of course, the original launch of the beacon chain itself happened after a development process. Sharding still taking a while. Um, you know, things like account abstraction are taking a while. But on the other hand, like EAP 1559, that's uh, something that was like a huge economic reform. And it's uh, one that's had like actually pretty very significant consequences, right? Mm-hmm. That's uh, been great for fee stability. It's been great for fast inclusion. It's been great for lots of things. But, you know, that took like three years to get through. But, you know, now it's finally there, right? So I think uh, there's kind of these two opposing pressures that uh, we as a community have to deal with, where one is kind of this pressure that speeds things up because there's more awesome researchers, there's more awesome uh, developers, there's like a lot more effort going into all of these problems. But then there's also the pressure slowing us down, which is like... Mm -hmm. The uh, desire to, um, you know, not break things, uh, the desire to uh, kind of implement stuff across multiple clients to make sure we have all of these uh, test suites and uh, also the desire to kind of simultaneously build all of the surrounding infrastructure, right? Like uh, when Ethereum launched, it did not have like this massive ecosystem of block explorers and right. like you know, side infrastructure that the Beacon Chain has already. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think like both of those pressures exist and like, to some extent, that's healthy, and uh, like to some extent, this uh, actually gets into stuff that I'm going to talk about in this presentation, which is that I think it's like healthy for Ethereum to have a bit of a move fast and break things attitude, like specifically over the next couple of years, because like you know we do need to radically change stuff, right? Like switching the consensus algorithm, moving over to sharding, moving over to like a very different model for how transactions get included. But at the same time, there's kind of this longer term desire where you know we do want L1 to 
kind of settle down into something that's like very stable and dependent and uh, like it's not something that kind of wins by outmaneuvering the alternatives it's something that wins by outlasting the alternatives certainly yeah and so I guess uh, we're both, uh, you know, d doing all of the good work that needs to be done to kind of get through all of these kind of big stages at the beginning. And uh, at the same time, like, there's also this question of, like, you know, how do we properly set ourselves up for and this uh, longer term future where the uh, layer one starts to become this uh, a bit of a more static thing. Um, and, you know, the improvements are more incremental, they're more kind of, uh, you know, technical and safety oriented. And... Once that happens, then, um, you know, Ethereum will just get slower and that's fine, right? But then, you know, layer two work is only going to get faster, I think. Like we've seen already, there's like five ZK VMs now. And, <laughs> uh, like basic, you know, there's so many, uh, ZK EVMs that, um, they're starting to care like almost uh, as much about debating which one of them is a real ZK VM as they do about actually building the product, mm -hmm. which is, uh, in some ways actually a great place for an ecosystem to be. <laughs> um, yeah, no, so. so you know, thinking that you know things are going well, and um, I think uh, you know the recognition that stuff like the merge does actually need to happen on a timetable. Like I think that's also something that's uh, picking up the yeah, recognition that um, you know things like scaling are something that needs to kind of happen on a timetable, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I think I've sometimes. Like said before, like, uh, you know, you can lose a, a billion dollars from a hack, but you can also lose a billion dollars from everybody just needing to pay way higher fees than they have to. And uh, one is more flashy and uh, glamorous, but, um, you know, the other is uh, also actually yeah, really serious kind of drain and uh, tax on the ecosystem. But I think, uh, you know, people are working on that. And uh, it's, uh, you know, just constant good news every couple of months. And, um, you know, I'm confident that we're actually getting to, uh, to an Ethereum that's pretty great. That is something I've certainly noticed lately. I think it started before DevConnect, but it really felt very, very vibrant at DevConnect in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. Just morale mm -hmm. around Ethereum development mm -hmm. and around the Ethereum developers seems to be really high. Mm. Um, and like I'm only seeing this from you know mm -hmm. a periphery standpoint because like mm -hmm. I just like talk about these things mm -hmm. and, and hear what the developers are saying. Mm -hmm. But for somebody who's a little bit more tapped in, mm -hmm. like how would you illustrate uh, the yeah. morale around the developers at the moment? Right. I mean, it's sometimes hard to tell because you have to like distinguish between sort of like forced high morale where sure. everyone kind of realizes that you know they are the elites and if they present an attitude right. of low morale, the whole thing breaks, and so they gotta have to kind of um, you know keep off everyone else's spirits mm -hmm. versus like genuine really high morale and i do think we have had periods of the first kind right sure like uh, a lot of that time in um, you know 2018 and 2019 maybe um you know the time around like the dow fork and the dos attacks i mean there have been definitely periods where people have been kind of disappointed by slow progress but now i think it's definitely like all genuine mm -hmm. uh, and the merge is like looking more and more in the front view mirror mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's looking more and more like hey this thing is going to actually happen. And once the merge actually happens, then, um, you know, I expect like morale is going to go way up, right? Like I basically expect that the merge is going to be kind of not priced in, by which I mean, like not even just like market terms, but even just kind of like psychological right. and narrative terms. Like yeah, pretty careful much, with that word. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, like in kind of like like in narrative terms, I right. think it's not going to be priced in like pretty much until like like after it happens. Mm -hmm. um, like yeah. there's like you know we see even even today like a lot of people kind of 
act as though, hey, you know, this uh, environmental issue is this fatal flaw. And mm -hmm. it, yeah, sure, Ethereum mumbles some noises about proof of stake, but come on, they've been saying that since forever and it's not going anywhere. But like, no, 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 no it's going to go somewhere. Right. And uh, I, at this point, I think the only way to just convince a huge number of people that it's going to go somewhere is just by actually going there. Sure. It's, uh, sure. You know, once that happens, it's going to change a lot of minds. Vitalik, are you ready for like 17 crypto media publications to quote you and say the, the merge is not priced in? <laughs> oh, fine. The media is quoting me. Now I wonder what other fun things I can say. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, everyone should buy Bitcoin Satoshi's vision. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the best crypto out there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's got the vision in the name. Yeah, uh, Vitalik, it's... how does it feel to be the best fitted person at ECC? The best fitted person? Yeah, your outfit. Oh, I see. Right. Because <laughs> I, yeah, I got the, the, the Unisox and the shirt um, and I guess the kitty watch. I don't know. They're fun. Um, I don't know. I, know, I wish you'd have more fun socks and more fun shirts at some mm -hmm. point. Um, I will say if there's something that crypto conferences have, it's definitely socks. We have a lot of true, socks yeah. here. <laughs> this is, yeah, socks are actually like good, right? I mean, the thing with the uh, shirts is um, like... One is that you just get so many of them. Mm -hmm. And like for me, you know, I've got my backpack and I have like a centimeter cubed budget of eight shirts mm -hmm. and like I'm already over by one. So, you know, don't actually necessarily want to kind of, um, you know, keep shirting around. Right. Oh, and then also there's this other issue, which is that like I really like those, I mean, you know, the ultra thin Uniqlo's um, right. that are like actually like a big improvement, both on centimeters cubed and on kind of you know, ability to kind of go outside and ability to kind of survive 40 degree heat, right? right? Then like even this, like this is sure. like made out of like fancy athletic fabric, but like right. it's even better than that. Um, so, uh, that's an East Denver shirt, right? It is indeed. It is a, uh, you what buffer. Year? Um, oh, this is this, this year. It's the most recent year. Yeah. Yeah. No, let's see. What other fun uh, swag can we do? We can do hats. Mm -hmm. Um, we can, uh, well, pants. Mm -hmm. Pants are under swag. I, I don't think, yeah, the crypto industry has not delved into pants yet. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you can include that in your talk so that in six to nine months, we'll have some good pants from now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I tried to, you know, advertise those, um, I guess, like Fox or Shiba Inu or whatever they are pants. But, <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure it'll keep going well. Let's talk about the app layer for a little bit, because the mm. app layer is where a lot of lessons get learned, I think, mm -hmm. every single cycle. Yes. Um, the app layer was where the ICO mania happened. The mm -hmm. app layer was with the DeFi, like if food yeah. farms happened. Right. Uh, what would you say are the biggest lessons that we've learned in the app layer yeah. in 2021? Right. I mean, I think the, one of the big uh, lessons for the community has been around the kind of stablecoin and Luna stuff. Sure. Like, I think uh, we... Yeah, actually got to a point where what we might call principles-based thinkers kind of got a bit demoralized, mm. right? Because, mm. I mean, you know, if you're a principles-based thinker, then you're going to say anything that offers more than 10% APY is like basically unsustainable at best, a scam at worst, mm -hmm. uh, because, uh, you know, nothing in fiat lands can stably offer 10% returns right. with like very low risk of uh, losses. So why the hell do we think the crypto space can uh, do better, especially given that there isn't really kind of much of a real economy backing up those growth right. rates. But at the same time, uh, you know, we, in 2020, 2021, we just saw this kind of ongoing, you know, yield farming craze and mm -hmm. you just regularly get like, you know, 90% APYs on yield farming, USDC or whatever. And it just kept on getting crazier. And, like, that's demoralizing, right? Because like, I think a lot of people even started thinking like, wait, okay, you know, maybe we're in a new paradigm and maybe this whole like sanity and logic thing actually is just a fiat world web two prejudice. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, 
boom uh, and uh, Luna suddenly taught people that like oh no 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 principles actually do matter and we actually do live in reality mm-hmm. uh, so I think you know I'm very happy that that uh, incident happened just in time I mean I wish that it had happened a few months earlier and blew so, up man. like five billion dollars instead of 50 but uh, you know even still it's better that it happened now than if it happened uh, later when it could have blown up 500 billion right because like you know, when something blows up $5 billion, it's like, okay, fine, it's a bunch of uh, rich computer geeks and they're kind of playing around and it's uh, their fault. At $50 billion, you know, people get more scared. But at $500 billion, it's, I mean, you know, there's just a huge pressure for, you know, all the big mainstream actors to consider the events to be their responsibility. And then, like, crypto is just going to completely lose its room to maneuver. Um, so I think... Uh, this is one of the reasons why, like, I've also never really joined this kind of enthusiastic uh, desire to get a Bitcoin or an Ethereum ETF, mm. uh, because um, I think, uh, like, we're not ready for it. Yeah, to some extent, and like, I think uh, in the like in these phases, like, crypto kind of deserves to have a yeah, m- longer period of time, and like, well, needs to have a longer period of time during which, like, it is in an uh, ecosystem where, um, you know, this is the frontier, this is the West, um, and yeah. I know all of those. I've heard this before. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, you know, this is not financial advice. You can lose everything that you put in and all of that. And uh, once you start kind of plugging it into mainstream infrastructure where, like, funds representing random 72-year-olds start throwing money into this stuff by default, mm-hmm. then you're just entering a different ballgame. And, like, that's... Not really a ball game that we should be trying to enter that quickly. Sure. Um, yeah, like, like basically, yeah, like if you have to choose between kind of two regulatory evils, where one of those evils is, uh, you know, regulators coming in and telling the industry what it can and can't do, and the other one is uh, the crypto industry gets freedom, but it gets firewalled off of, um, right. you know, reality, then like I choose the second over the first like any day. Right. Um, so fortunately, um, I think, uh, you know, Luna broke before it uh, managed to kind of get to that level of scale where uh, it uh, really started uh, kind of, you know, jumping outside of the firewall. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, you know, even still, um, the, the collapse kind of uh, reminded people that like, yes, reality matters, that yes, fundamentals matter, yes, principles matter. Um, yes, this thing that you're throwing your money into that promises 6% returns uh, and has been consistently giving you 6% returns for the last like two years might actually be something that's uh, worth getting out of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, you know, good that we learned those lessons. Certainly, six uh, percent year over year over year definitely beats out twenty percent in one year, but zero <laughs> going to zero at the end of that year. Yeah, exactly. The like the question I sometimes um, like ask myself with like all of these weird opportunities is like uh, taking a long view, right? Uh, what is the probability that nothing bad will happen to this thing over ten years, mm-hmm. right? And let's say maybe the probability is like seventy five percent. Okay, if the probability is seventy five percent that nothing bad will happen over ten years, twenty five percent chance that like you know it drops to zero. That's equivalent to an interest rate of negative two and a half percent. Right? Are you really? Like, is the difference that you're getting really worth two and a half percent? And often it isn't, right? right? But like, I think in order for it to be kind of like 
easy for people to start thinking in that way you know like sometimes you do need to just have like memorable examples of like the bad thing actually happening right. but you know the good news is now we do i mean what's the that u.s quote about tyrants um you know the blank of sanity has to be refreshed mm -hmm. by the blood of people getting wrecked essentially mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um are we ever going to like break out from that meta or that's are a we good question i think we will i um, mean i think we are slowly getting into it yeah. i think basically what's happening is that like the fact that there is a permanent frontier and the fact that the permanent frontier is permanently risky is obscuring the fact that the frontier actually is moving. Sure. And the number of specific things that's been de-risked and, and is safe is actually increasing all the time, mm -hmm. right? Like back in 2014, just in exchange was part of the frontier, right? Right, right, and, right, right. <laughs> and now, you know, like, like that's totally not true, right? And people mm -hmm. just know like, hey, yeah, you know, Uniswap works and it's mm -hmm. safe, you know, keep stuff in your wallet and, uh, you know, just use Uniswap when you need to trade things. And uh, otherwise, when you need to move between fiat, like an exchange is just a pass through, like you right. could use it, but you don't want to uh, huddle stuff there. Um, the yeah, ability to just... Rel reliably hold your coins has been improving, right? Like I, we've uh, moved from, uh, you know, lots of crazy stories of like coin theft in 2013 and 2014. And now we're, things are better off with hardware wallets. And um, I think two years from now, things will be like even better with uh, uh, more social recovery wallets. Um, Multisigs for organizations have been quietly getting mainstreamed. Mm -hmm. Multisigs for individuals, not quite yet, but uh, right. I think that's a UX problem. But multi-sig for organizations, I actually remember when multi-sig smart contracts on Ethereum were part of the frontier. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you know, the hashtag like, parody. Yeah. Wait, you know, was the, that, was the, that, the, was parody a multi-sig? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, it was. It was a non-Gnosis multi-sig, right? Yeah, yeah, they yeah, right, made their own multi-sig. Um, and uh, remember, it was like uh, someone made that bug report. It was like, uh, subject line, anyone can kill your contract. Text, oops, I accidentally killed it. <laughs> and uh, I just said one transaction that blew up a library and $450 million became inaccessible. But like that was the frontier then. And right. like now multi-sigs are just totally trusted, right? So right. like, uh, you know, on the one hand, it's like, this is the frontier, this is the West. But on the other hand, and it's like the West is moving West, right? Right. Um, you right, know, this right, right. like... It's not like, um, you know, the West in America where you get to California and you're done. It's like, um, you know, Singapore where Keeps like, they, going, right? yeah, where, where like they literally just keep on building land that at this point, 20% of their country is like stuff that they've built. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we can keep like biddling safe territory. Uh -huh. And uh, so I think, uh, you know, that trend's going to continue. And I think like the set of things that you actually can do safely is going to just uh, keep uh, going up more and more. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's the sort of thing that we won't notice because like the sign of that happening isn't news the sign of that happening is lack of news right. but like if once you kind of get that kind of skill of uh, learning to pay attention to lack of news mm -hmm. um it's an interesting skill to acquire by the way like if you uh, just uh, try to get up-to-date information about like any event where there's a lot of propaganda and a lot of like highly incentivized uh, discourse uh, going on like mm -hmm. uh, listening to what doesn't get said is often like one of the most revealing things mm -hmm. and i mean over here like what, what's not getting said while well, there's uh, industries that or like sub parts of uh, crypto that used to be completely crazy that are just uh, actually settled down and doing quite fine today mm -hmm. vitalik there's something i'd actually like your advice on because mm -hmm. this happens most conferences mm -hmm. where like you know we have this podcast mm -hmm. people a lot of people listen to it and so like therefore we get pitched a bunch mm -hmm. all the time like people are like oh like i'd love to show you what, what i'm building and then mm -hmm. I, I have this game that i play is like mm -hmm. I rate conferences by like the number of seconds it takes to, for somebody to start like in a conversation to start pitching me. I'm sure for you it yeah. is a hundred times worse. <laughs> How do you survive this? 
how do I survive this? Um, I mean, I guess, like, you know, don't want to actually spend too much time conferencing. Um, (laughs) You know, like, it's uh, it's, the conferences are, uh, it's actually more like an Ethereum city for a week. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if there's stuff that you want to talk to, you can, uh, or people you want to talk to, you can actually go and talk to them. Mm -hmm. And so, like, the, yeah. Like the presentations are almost not even there for the presentation. They're just there to make a shelling point, you know? Right. And, you know, especially in this kind of reality where it's like 10,000 people want to come, but a thousand people can come. It just sort of turns into that by default. Right. Yeah. But, you know, there's also just, it's good to also go around and talk to people and it's good to kind of get the general vibe um, Mm -hmm. and just like get a feel for what kinds of things people care about, what kinds of uh, like problems people are working on, Mm -hmm. uh, what kinds of things, um, you know, people think are solving and what kinds of solutions people think are important. Um, So, you know, I think uh, kind of it's good to get that, but we also don't want to get too much of that. Certainly. Mm. So we've already talked about what the developers are up to Mm. and the importance of having a timetable, for Mm -hmm. example, is perhaps a takeaway from this. But just for the broader Ethereum community, perhaps like the non-protocol devs and non-core devs, maybe people in the app layer, but also Mm -hmm. people like me and Ryan who aren't builders but Mm. still do stuff, Mm -hmm. what would be your general request for the broadest part of the Ethereum community? What do we need to do to just be a better community in 2022 and beyond? I feel like my advice is the same as my advice has always been, which is like elevate uh, meaningful stuff. Mm-hmm. There's just all of these uh, projects, like even, you know, the ERC4337 team, right? Mm-hmm. Like they don't have a token. They yeah, don't have a glamorous marketing department. They're doing stuff that like I think could be revolutionary that I think could, um, you know, greatly improve the state of wallet safety and mm-hmm. could even, um, you know, make uh, optimistic rollups three times cheaper. Sure. You know, people like that deserve some love. People who are like activists in random countries um, for whom crypto actually is a lifeline to avoid being deplatformed um, mm-hmm. that like I've just like... Uh, gotten to know more and more of those from I mean, all kinds of places uh, over the last couple of years um and you know like i've I mean, like i talked to a bunch out of russia obviously but you know there's like lo- lots of uh, different places and uh, you know people like that are part of the community mm-hmm. um people trying to um you know make like even make better social better social media platforms where the goal isn't just like hey you know this thing's going to be magically better because it has a token but to like have some interesting perspective about like you know hey you know what in particular makes twitter unproductive and toxic to the extent that it is and like how do you remove that and how do you replace that with like some positive mechanic and uh, look there's just all of these different kind of corners of uh, ethereum land that are doing interesting stuff and i think they yeah i mean sometimes they need funding sometimes i think they just need kind of attention and they need help in uh, kind of finding other people who care about the same thing mm-hmm. um and um, you know they they need moral support so the more that we can do to help them i think the better certainly hmm. vitalik there's a talk that i have to go get to it happens to be yours hmm. uh, so we have to conclude this interview so thank you for joining me yeah thank you too cheers